please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be reading um, this morning from uh, verses 1 through 16. And Josh has asked me to be the voice. Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean? except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That's, that's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this gorgeous, beautiful day. And we thank you for this gorgeous, beautiful church that you called the bride. God, I pray that as we get into your word today that you will speak directly to us through your holy scriptures. God, open our ears so that you can communicate with us. Open our eyes so that we can see you clearly, so that we can define every aspect and facet of your son Jesus who brings us life and hope. We love you. Father, I pray that as I speak, that it will be your words and it won't be any of my words. So I pray that right now that you would just take Josh out of the equation and just uh, speak to us. In your name, amen. All right, good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, good morning, everybody. It's, I'm glad you made it out. All right, uh, get your notes out. 
and uh, title is Plugging Into the Ascension Gifts, also known as the Fivefold Ministry. And uh, this is the this is the middle of Ephesians that we just read, and I kind of have some bad news. I'm based off of Pastor's word this morning and what's going on. I'm pretty much going to abandon the outline this morning. So it hasn't been the first time, but uh, I know if I don't do the fill-ins for you, you guys won't be able to sleep at night. So, um, beautiful scripture, right? And we've probably read it a million times, and. Even when I read it, 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 some of it just kind of goes over my head. And so we're going to take a really good look at the scriptures and its main idea right here. Well, not the main idea, but one of the cornerstones of what's going on is what theologians call the ascension gifts, or some people call it the fivefold ministry. Uh, it is spiritual gifts that God gives the church, and they're right here. So sometimes they're called the offices of the of the church, if, if we're the body of Christ, like the scripture says, you know, we all have our parts, and I'm an arm, you're a leg, and, you know, somebody's an ear, so we all have, we're, the, we're the body of Christ, and we all have our, our, our part to play, and then Jesus is the head, right? You guys get that, right? So Jesus is the head, it, we, but he's not, like, attached. He's not, like, stapled on, like Frankenstein, okay? So we, we are of one body with Christ, and we share the same life force, so the blood that, that, that brings nutrients to the head is the same blood that we share in. It's just an amazing idea to think about. So we are the body of Christ. And if we're the body, the church, if the church is the body, then these five things, uh, these five spiritual gifts or five functions of the church, these would be the arteries of the body. Okay, so I have them backwards on your outline because there's some there's a point I wanted to make, uh, and I'm not going to run through it real quick. It's a really good message, and someday maybe you'll hear it. But again, we just let's just let's uh, I'll talk about this in a second. So we have uh, uh, in the fivefold ministry or the ascension gifts. It's called ascension because it's it's attached to Jesus, and as Angela just read, he ascended to the highest of heights, uh, and it's it's these gifts are to uh, empower the church to grow to new heights. Okay, so they are the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. And I don't know if you, like last week we did the whole ministry fair and we had it all set up outside and we had all these different types of ministry setups, but we didn't have, you know, the apostle ministry, did we? We didn't have the, the prophecy ministry, did we? We had evangelism, which is alpha, but you know, those two are kind of left off. And that was the idea that I wanted to flesh out is that uh, the prophets and the apostles sometimes are a little left out and we don't necessarily have this five-fold ministry model in American church culture. A lot of churches have the three-fold ministry. And we'll look at those. So the first one on your outline is teachers. Teachers is obviously an easy one to think about, right? Uh, I, you could consider me teaching right now. Sunday school teachers are upstairs teaching your kids right now. Home groups are, you know, that's a teaching atmosphere. And so in our church, you know, we, we value the whole balance of things. And so your fill-in for teachers would be one of our five purposes. And one of our five purposes is discipleship. So there's a the connection there, discipleship. Next one, pastors. Uh, I have the title of pastor, 
but it's also an office within inside of the church, and it's a, it's a spiritual gift that you might have. Actually, I, even though I have the title of it, it's not my key spiritual gift in the sense because pastors, they, they take care of people. And obviously that's what our pastor does, that's what I do, but the people that are really wired that have that spiritual gift to be pastors are usually people that go into counseling or, or psychology because they want to help people. These are the types of people that you would feel comfortable having over to your house to discuss a problem. The people that you're going to feel comfortable with, that you can bear your heart with, that, that can counsel you and lead you and guide you and give you ideas. So those types of people. So like if in school you were drawn to be a counselor, you kind of have that pastoral heart inside of you, that pastoral gift. All right? So on that one, one of our purposes in our church is fellowship. So you can write that in next to pastors. Again, if I had time, it'd be really good. But anyway, evangelist is pretty much, it's self-explanatory. That goes with our purpose of evangelism. Prophets, this is the one where you might want to do some homework because I really had to, I don't want to say I, I forced the text, but um, one of our, we just did it, one of our key purposes in our church is worship. It is expressing to God. Now, the spiritual gift of prophecy is, and it, it comes in, in two categories. There's the, you know, there's the whole Notre Dame effect thing. So, you know, whenever you, you get this image in your mind of what a prophet is, you're going to think Notre Dame. Or you're going to think of Moses up on the hill with lightning bolts. Or you're going to think of, you know, the, the Mayan calendar in 2012 and the end of the world, right? That's usually what we think about when we hear the word prophecy. And whenever somebody in my circles comes around and says, I am a prophet, uh, usually I get a little scared. It's like, just stay away from me. And I just, okay. Okay, uh, prophetess, yeah, I don't want anything to do with you. So, but, but we usually have this, this pushback, right? And, and, you know, it's obviously, it's, you know, it's like, okay, this is a little odd, but there is a spiritual gift of prophecy that whether you realize it or not happens in our church naturally. It's all about semantics. We just haven't defined it so. So if you have the abilities or if you're able to see into someone's life or even into your life, and if you have a vision of the future, and if it's God's will, you are able to function in the spiritual gift of prophecy. But then there's another aspect of prophecy in that, you know, if, if, if the Notre Dame stuff, is seeing stuff in the future is foretelling, then there's also this area of forthtelling. And forthtelling is the ability for me to see what's going on inside of your life. <coughs> Celebrate Recovery is actually a ministry that kind of functions in the spiritual gifts of prophecy because it is, it is geared towards gifted people helping other people find out where they are at right here and right now. You can, you can see it on people when there's something wrong. Like, they, they didn't tell you anything, they didn't communicate anything to you, but, but you know that there's something not quite right. And that is the, the issue of forth-telling, of knowing what's going on right here and right now. So how do you do prophecy? What's the purpose of prophecy? The main purpose and the function of prophecy is to edify the church. 
So if you think that you're a prophet, if you think you know the future and God's let you in on some secrets and he's let you in on some secrets about some individuals, do those images and ideas that are rolling around in your head, do they encourage that individual? Do they encourage the church? If they don't, chances are it's not from the Lord. It's not God's will. It's your will. This is why we have resistance against the whole prophetic movement because it has been abused for years. But it is a major artery in the body of Christ. It is a gift to the church for the ascension of the church. So you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I've done it myself because I've had scary prophetic people scare me. Um, does that make sense though, right? So it, it, the purpose of prophecy is to edify and build the church. If it edifies and builds you, you're not a prophet. If it is to one-up you and one-down someone else, you're, you're, you're functioning in the flesh. Pure and simple, all right? So, next one. Apostles. So, well, okay, the, our purpose for prophecy, this is where it's a little bit of a stretch. If you disagree, you win, okay? But I would attach that to our area of worship. Okay, so worship. A lot of people hear from God during worship. And when we are worshiping God, we are declaring the goodness of God right here in foretelling. And that's how I'm getting into this prophecy thing. Again, it's a great message I'll tell you someday. But there it is. And then the next one is, is apostles. Some of God's called um, some of us to be apostles. What's an apostle? The, basically, the apostle is the spiritual version of the entrepreneur. If you are an apostle or if you have that gift in, inside of you functioning in the church, you have this desire to create things that aren't there. You want, to, you want to start a new ministry. You want to start a new church. You have this idea of, of how, you have this strategy of how you could make things better. You are a pioneer. You're not afraid of change. You're not afraid of risk. Apostle Paul was an apostle, obviously, and he started churches all over the Mediterranean. Then he walked off and he left them. So if you can create something that's God-breathed, you are an apostle. And if you can place somebody to manage what you've created, you're an apostle. Uh, he's not, he, he snuck out. That guy's an apostle. Our pastor is an apostle. He creates things that aren't there. And he makes me do them. And <laughs> so, so these five things are the arteries of the church. And, and what I wanted to talk about today is the, the lack of the last two. Um, and I wanted to flesh that out a little bit. Why are, don't churches function health in a healthy way in the prophetic or as apostles? And uh, our churches have morphed into nonprofit organizations and not churches anymore. And that might be one reason why. Okay, so what do I really want to talk about? Ephesians Paul's letter to the Ephesians is actually a unique book. He, he's writing from Rome to a group of believers 
And when he addresses them in the beginning of chapter 1, he says, he calls them faithful. There's actually no discipline that's going on when he addresses the Ephesians. There's no, you know, you guys are great, but I have this against you. Like when he's addressing, you know, the Corinthians and, and the Colossians, and, and he's like, okay, church, you got to pay attention to this area. I'm going to give you some instruction because you're doing this wrong. That wasn't the case with the Ephesians. He calls them faithful, and then he goes into teaching them. So they, they had obtained a level of growth or spiritual maturity that was a little bit different than all the other places that he'd started. So he doesn't start off by, you know, spanking the sheep. It's a very encouraging letter. And in chapter 4, which is absolutely amazing, I mean, obviously we read it, I hope it soaked into you, we're going to break it apart a little bit, but it's, it deals primarily with spiritual maturity. How to be a mature Christian. And he, he has it up, broken up into three major parts. The first part is, uh, let's look at it. The first part. I, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling, completely humble and gentle and patient and bearing with one another in love. So he's addressing, he's addressing issues of character and maturity right from the very beginning. May you keep every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Again, this is what I want you to focus on. And if you're okay with writing in your Bibles, this would be a good one to do. There's one body, one spirit. You can underline spirit or write it in your notes. Just as you were called by one hope, when you were called by one Lord. You can underline Lord or write it in your notes. Lord, this, he's referring to Christ. He's referring to Jesus in this. One faith, one baptism, one God and Father. So he's underlined God, God the Father on that one. Write it in your notes. Who is over all and and who is over all and through all and in all. But each of you, uh, but but to each one of us, grace. Say grace. Grace, unmerited favor. It's also the empowering work of the Spirit. So grace is unmerited favor. We went through a whole series on this. But it's also the ability, the God-given ability that you don't have to do stuff that you can't do. It's not talking about your natural gifts. It's talking about giving you spiritual gifts, spiritual empowerment. So whenever grace is used in this context, it's talking about doing things that you're not able to do by yourself. And, and not, it's not necessarily talking about salvation. It's talking about gracing you with power, right? Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it, okay? So what's he saying here? What's, what's Paul trying to describe? He's saying... Faithful, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. But it's even more than that because he says, Spirit, Lord, and God the Father. He says, You have Trinity inside of you, you have the triune God in dwelling in you. 
which is huge. That is huge. That's a huge, powerful statement that he makes. All of God is inside of you. Okay? Then he goes into what we just read, the outline that we just looked at. And then if you want to flip over to verse 12, to prepare God's people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we have reached unity. Okay, real quick. The purposes of these five offices or five gifts to the church is, is to what? Edify, to prepare. Some of your versions say to equip. So if church is done right, you are to be equipped to serve, equipped to do good works through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you don't come to church to learn about God. You come to church to be equipped. You don't, you don't, on Sunday mornings, you don't come to, to get fed. You come to be empowered. If, you're, if you come to church once a week and that's your only time with the Lord, your only moment of feeding, then you're in a dysfunctional relationship with God. Your growth should be on a daily basis. Okay, so the purpose of these five things is to equip you to do good works, to do good things, to build the church, so on and so forth. That's the purpose. That's why we're here this morning. All right? Okay, and then he gets down to um, verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed uh, back and forth. Okay, so what, we'll look at this some more in some depth, but what he's saying, the way that Paul is framing it in the literature, he's saying, you are you are faithful and you are empowered with triune God living inside of you and you're a bunch of babies. And in between are these five purposes. There's a, there's a very stark contrast that Paul is using here. You guys are, you guys are, you guys are co-heirs with Christ. You have, you have the Trinity living inside of you. you are, you're better than angels. It's kind of a scary thought. I mean, God thinks so highly of you, he's going to sit you at his right hand. We are sons and daughters of the living God. You, you are, hand. I mean, I could say things that would sound like heresy. So high, so well sought after. The house of God, us. You're a bunch of little babies. That's what he's saying. That is the contrast that he's making in these two points. And then he goes after this spiritual maturity thing. Okay. All right, back up to 13. Until we all reached unity in faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of Christ. All right, so when, Jesus, when Paul is saying, he's making a very specific point, and it's not going to come across in our translations. He's saying, you all are a bunch of infants. You're a bunch of little babies. 
your spiritual babies. The day that we step across that line of faith, the day that we become born again, uh, in First and Second Peter says we're a new creation, right? We're a new, be- we're a new being. Christians aren't good. Christians are new. They're a new creation. And he said that once you step across that line of faith, you get triune God injected inside of you. You're a, you become a baby. You become, you become a spiritual baby instantly. And what do we know about babies? They're they're a handful, aren't they? They're messy. They they they, they poop, and as, as Mako said, the poops and it's not poops and giggles. But babies are they're hard to take care of. They require work. Every healthy church should have infants in them. If they don't, there's a problem. But every church should have infants in them, and they're going to be immature. Um, so get a little bit deeper. Then you will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunningness and craftiness of men in their deceitful schemes. And when we had Sophia, we had to physically feed her. We had to put the food on her table to feed her. She didn't have the ability to discern what good food was what junk food was, and what poison is. And so when a new baby comes in to the faith, they are presented with a lot of stuff, and it's our responsibility to feed them well. But they, they, don't, they, they can't discern. They, you know, they can't discern from a good, healthy, balanced teaching or, you know, maybe some not-so-good teaching, maybe some spiritual junk food, and then flat-out poison. And we've seen people come into the faith, and they eat poison. Why? Another thing that infants do is infants have, and as a matter of fact, five-year-olds have this too. They have an attention span that is like this. And when you have a baby and, and it's a little fussy, you do everything to to get them to be happy. You get something shiny and wrinkly and you, and you flash it in their face and you make noises and, oh, look at this little shiny thing. Ooh. And they, they, they smile and they think it's great and then they start crying. And so you get something else. You get another loud little, loud little toy and you, hey, look at this, look at this. And they have like this ADD. And spiritually, we can have ADD. Infants, immature Christians, they go from here to there, here to there, here to there, here to there. Ooh, this looks nice and shiny. Let's look at this. Ooh, I want to go look at this. Oh, I like this. This sounds good. Let's go over here and look at this. There's no consistency. There's no discipline. It's, they get blown from here to there. They get tossed back. They get tossed forth. There's no consistency with the baby Christian. They just get distracted and sidetracked. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, oh, well, there's all these immature Christians around me, and I'm so mature and spiritual. <laughs> uh, uh, that's a difficult place to be in. But that, in fact, Paul addresses that, too, very subtly. 
Where'd he go? Fourteen. He says, this is important. Underline this one too. He says, then we, we, he's he's putting himself in the equation. Paul, the great apostle, is saying, we are infants. So he's recognizing that he himself is an infant. Where does that put you and me? A day old, if he's eight days old, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's just, he's, he's identifying that he needs to grow tr- too. So he's saying that he is an infant. And this is a great point that doesn't come across in your Bibles or in translations. He says, we will be infants and the idea is plural, that you're all a little bunch of babies, right? But God wants you to become mature. How do we become mature? How do we become mature? Where does, where does spiritual maturity come from? We, we just read it. We just read it. Now, all right, 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith. He runs this together. Paul's very intentionally in running this together. Until we reach the unity in faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become what? Mature. Some translations, maybe your Bible says this, you will become the mature man or the, the mature person. So spiritual maturity comes inside of unity in the church. And you think to yourself, I don't need that to become spiritually mature. I can become spiritually mature by myself. And this is a big trap. I mean, I, have, I, I deal with this too. I was like, I gotta, I gotta make myself more spiritually mature. So I'm going to, you know, do all this self-improvement stuff. Right? But self-improvement doesn't come by reading self-help books. Self-improvement, spiritual maturity happens here when you are doing life and rubbing up against each other. Now the point I want to make, that Paul makes, and it really comes across in the Greek. I don't read Greek, but I, I uh, read books by guys that do. How about that? Um, <laughs> uh, And we'll become that mature person. The powerful point that Paul is making, he's saying, you're all a bunch of babies, plural, but through the unity of Christ, through the unity in the Holy Spirit, you will become singular, person, body of Christ. He doesn't say persons. He could have easily have said that, He says, through the unity of Christ, you all will become great people, peoples. He doesn't say that. He says, person, personhood. It's singular. It's very specific. He was making a point. They all got it. Sometimes when we read it, we don't get it because it it gets lost in translation, right? The unity of the body is what he's after. That's where spiritual maturity is comes from. So, 
if you're a baby or if, you're, if you think yourself a Christian and you go to different teachings, and I'm saying, yeah, okay, there's different theological teachings that are all good and helpful. But if you're, if you're jumping ship theologically every once in a while, you're entertaining new types of teachings because they're interesting, new philosophies of life, Maybe even some Christian folks that say, if you believe, you're going to get rich. Spiritual junk food. You're a baby. You're not discerning. If you're bouncing from here to there, if you're not consistent in your walk, if you just pop into church every other month or so to, to fill your quota, you're, you're a baby. You're immature. If... Your idea of church is culturally specific. I want everybody to look like me. I want everybody to act like me. People bug me. I don't want to be around immature people. And so I'm only going to go to a church that has people that look like me and act like me and do what I do and say what I like. Then you're immature. There's a... This has been going on for years. This has been going on since the 60s. It's the, it's the uh, house church movement. Started with the hippies because they wanted to break from, you know, they wanted to break from traditional church. We get that. I understand that. And maybe rightfully so because maybe true discipleship, true fellowship wasn't happening inside of the church. But sometimes... People want to do home church because they don't like the people that are in church, and nor do they intend to ever get to know them or be around them or work things out or, as Paul said, to speak the truth in love. They dislike to speak truth. But there's a difference between speaking the truth in love and loving to speak the truth. Do you know people like this? I just want to speak, I just want to let everybody know that I'm right and you're wrong. Speaking the truth in love is what we are required to do. My wife loves me because she speaks the truth in love. And she tells me things about myself that I don't want to hear. <laughs> Did I hit a nerve? I <laughs> But she loves me. And she says, Josh, you gotta stop this. You gotta this this attitude that you have, this behavior that you do, you gotta stop it. And partly it's because it annoys her, but the main portion of it is because she loves me. She loves me enough to hurt my feelings. Right? She loves me enough for her personal comfort zone to get messed up. Because if she hurts my feelings and makes me grumpy and mad, then she's, you know, the environment in her house is all messed up because I'm running around pouting and not talking to her and stuff. So she's paying the consequences of doing something good, right? All right.
16. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, and each part does its work. All right? So each part doing its work. A healthy church, a church that uses these five gifts, these five ascension gifts, what does it really look like? It's interesting. I was talking with a friend yesterday who, I, no, I can't say his name, but uh, he used to go here, but now he's a pastor at a different church, a uh, youth pastor at a different church. And he's working in an environment where he is speaking prophetically in a situation in a church that doesn't use the word ever. Okay, they're afraid of that word. So he's, he's ministering in a prophetic level, and no one, no one knows what's going on. They just know that it's working. And so he's okay with doing that. And he uh, asked me hard questions. Uh, leave, me, leave me alone. Leave me alone. And so he's making me deal with difficult questions that's making me ask myself, Am I spiritually mature? Am I growing? He's challenging me. He's holding me accountable. And how do you know if you're spiritually mature or not, or if you're growing, or if you're a baby still? Here, here's your challenge, and here's your homework. Ask yourself. You're not going to like it, because I didn't like it when I did it. But you have to, you have to ask yourself, um, Am I more humble today than I was a year ago? Is there more humility in my life that can be measured? Do I have more peace in who I am, my soul, my family, my house? Is there more peace in my being than there was last year? Do I have more self-control over my situations and my emotions than I did last year? That's, those are hard questions, especially in these days and times. You have to ask yourself, do I have more peace? Do I have more hope? Do I have more self-control? That's a hard, hard question to ask in reflecting over last year. And then, so that's your homework. I'm going to challenge you to ask yourself those questions this week. And here's the harder part. I'm going to challenge you to ask somebody that's close to you those questions about yourself. Say, me and Adam go to lunch. Adam, am I more of a humble person than I was last year? Can you sense more peace in my life than last year? Am I more self-controlled than I was last year? And if Adam loves me, he'll tell me the truth. He will speak the truth in love in a nice way. If Adam doesn't love me, he'll speak the truth and destroy me, right? You see how powerful the truth can be? It can either breathe life or death. It's the power of the tongue. He's got power. I have to be vulnerable enough to give him power into my life. But can you do that? Are you in relationships with people that will speak the truth in love? 
And if you're not, I'm going to challenge you to do so. I'm going to challenge you to be a part of a home group or a small group. Willie's even got a class on this whole topic of maturity, spiritual maturity. Yeah, if you went through the class and got your certificate, raise it up. You can get to people. We got one there, got one there, there. So are they now spiritually mature? You guys are still babies. So. <laughs> but once you say, I, I have attained it, then you've then you're got a problem. But the, the idea is that we are continually growing. It is illegal for us to sit in the pew and say, I'm okay. There's nothing going on with me that needs attention. I am okay. You just stay out of my life because I am that control freak and I got it under control. We don't have the right to say we no longer are able to grow. In fact, we don't have the right to say, this area of my life, this is who I am. I am wired this way. I will always be a dog. That's illegal for a Christian to say and do. Why? Because we have triune God living inside of us. God that created the universe. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit there, empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's illegal for us to make excuses for our behavior because that's just who we are. We are new. We're a new creation. All right. If I could have the band and come on up to the front on our way up. Um... While I was preparing the message this week, uh, I got a, a phone call from Ed Palson. And he tells me this story where he uh, gets in his car, kind of has an unfeeling about his car. I mean, you ever have an unfeeling about your car when you're, when you're driving somewhere, especially if you have a beater, right? Um, <laughs> you just like, Argh. it's like you say a prayer before you go from point A to point B. Actually, Ed's pretty good at taking care of his car. Very disciplined, very, you know, he's committed. And so he's taking care of his car, but he just has this weird, kinky feeling about driving somewhere. He, he's headed out in the 57, auto center drive in uh, San Dimas, and does that big old loop, and then he's going down the straightaway in San Dimas, and his front tire completely falls off. Just falls off, the whole thing falls off. And he's sliding down the road. You know, he takes it into the shop, and the mechanic's like, Man, this was so dangerous. He said, if you would have been doing this around that turn, you would have flipped. If you would have been, this thing would have come off on the freeway, you'd be dead. And he said, this was the cause of it. This was it. He said, the mechanic forgot to put the cotter pin in. This, uh, all this does, the only purpose for this is to hold a nut on a screw. Mechanic forgot, just made a mistake, just got lazy, didn't do his job. And over time, the nut just worked its way off until the whole wheel fell off, all in one shot. And this was the only thing that was holding it together. This was it. 
Is this you? Is this you? Is God's kingdom not advancing? Or did God's will get derailed because you weren't in? Because you weren't in, God's will got derailed. I want to get into the whole sovereignty of God thing. But what we do know, God's will will continue. But as Pastor said last week, there is only one specific thing that you were called to do. And if you don't do it, it's not going to get done. So this could be you. This could also be that thing in your life that you're unwilling to give up. That thing that you entertain. That thing that brings you comfort. That thing that gives you identity to your past. And you're too stubborn to give it up. Or to put God in. Let him take control over that area of your life. So everybody should have got one of these when you came in. Take this home. Pray about it. If you don't know, pray. If if you're not in relationship with people, if you don't have somebody in your life that is comfortable enough to say, your attitude stinks, Josh, then you're not in fellowship. And in fact, you are spiritually immature if you don't have people around you that can speak the truth in love. Pray for them. They're there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day, God. I pray that you will just speak to our hearts. God, I ask for us and myself, God, what are those areas in my life that I think I sound good, but it's not true? What are those areas in my life where I think I'm right, but really I just want to be right? What are those areas that I need to grow spiritually? Father, right now, I pray for everyone. I pray for that spirit of uh, backsliding. God, we just declare that that's not going to happen anymore. That when we come into a place and we, we, we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, He addresses it. God, I pray that we will have the strength to maintain that spiritual maturity where we're consistent in our walk. So right now, I just pray that you would just, you just break that spiritual hold that we have that keeps us from being consistent, that keeps us from maturing, that keeps us from being tossed back and forth. God, I pray that have the ushers come to the front. God, I, I pray for this offering, Lord. God, I pray as it uh, increases your kingdom, God, I pray that there will be financial freedom for a lot of people. And I know that a lot of people say, I don't have the peace that I had last year because I don't have the money in the bank account that I had last year. And I, I pray that we will just break that identity of peace in our, in our daily lives. And then we won't be held captive by the spiritual principalities of money. Pray you just bless this offering to its fullest extent. In your name, amen.